dinosaurs. Hey, you like Pez? It looks like that has Heaney from the boundary line. He's an expert at these. And welcome to Behind the Boundary Podcast. I'm your host, Pez, and Sauce, I'm throwing straight to you because I've actually forgot how to do an intro because we've had a week off of footy. Yep, straight over to me. G'day, guys. Uh, you are here with Behind the Boundary. Welcome to another week of one of your favourite podcasts. How'd I go, Pez? Did I do it all right? Yeah, oh, favourite podcast. I'll try and add that in uh, <laughs> for the final series in next season. We'll see. I might, I might have lost me, uh, lost me gig there, but we'll see what happens. <laughs> Yeah, no, not very good on the fly, Pez. That wasn't in our little production meeting. Um, but you're, you've tuned in for, for an amazing show. We've got a lot to discuss. Uh, whilst there has been no football actually to discuss and reflect on, there has been a big week in football in terms of the news. We've got the All-Australian. We've had a couple of uh, Crows uh, misbehaving. We've had um, a range of other stuff that we're going to discuss. Can't wait to get into it. Yeah, definitely. Before we do get into it, uh, Sauce, what, what did you do on the uh, week off No Footy? Uh, it was very weird. It was a little bit, uh, a little bit depressing on my behalf. I sort of sat in front of a, a TV, um, and I watched um, <laughs> the the Fox Footy had a great little thing of all the the last um, grand finals that had been played because it was meant to be uh, the grand final weekend last uh, Saturday in September. And I, I spent most of the weekend watching old football games. Um, <laughs> one of the things I did, I did notice, and I was actually messaging a mate with this period. And I'm sorry to bring this up. Tell you what, Nick Rewalt was unlucky not to win a premiership. He had he had a lot of key moments in in both of the well in all the games that he played in the grand finals that he played that were unlucky not to end up in goals. He had a you know a little um, he had obviously the, the the famous smother. He had a couple of little missed missed opportunities. We um, lost that one by ten goals. Yeah, but no, but like that one, but. <laughs> It was, yeah, it was just really interesting to reflect now knowing, you know, hindsight, having all that hindsight, uh, but I spent my weekend watching footy, so it was no different for me. Yeah, I saw, um, it was number two, actually, when I walked past the uh, lounge room and there was the uh, Bulldogs-Giants prelim on, so I sat down and watched that, that for a bit, uh, messaged my Bulldogs mate, because St Kilda are obviously playing Bulldogs, and said, hey, your, your team's here in the finals, you're going to have a win here, so this is good, isn't it? Like, uh, in the, what was it, 2016 prelim, so that went there, and then number one, um, I didn't actually see what it was, Source, but I'm going to guess it's the 2018 Grand Final. Dom Sheed, between mate. Collingwood and West Coast. Dom Sheed. That's, that's all it. you need to say. To, sorry to all our West Coast supporters. We do have a big following in Perth. and uh, don't, don't be sorry to West Coast supporters. They love that. No, no, no. I'm apologising <laughs> that, uh, that we didn't give it more of a rap and, and apologising that you didn't say that it was an obvious number one. It's it's not a oh, – well, it wasn't a question. Thought, not a question. Sometimes these shows, they, they do little things, bits and pieces wrong, which uh, – which some other selectors get get things wrong as well, Source, and there's been big debate on the All-Australian team for 2020, and I'm really interested to hear your thoughts. What we're going to do, Source, is we're going to go through each position, if you can call them positions anymore in the All-Australian team. <laughs> uh, we're gonna, we'll go through the defence, we'll name who actually made it, have a bit of a chat about who deserves it, who in your eyes doesn't think so. It's a, it's an opinion-based thing, which is, which is what you see on Twitter, that people bring up really good points. Now, Source... If you're going to bring up a point, this is one of my pet peeves. If you're going to say this player deserves to make it, what you have to do is you have to actually cut someone. You can't just say, oh, this player should have made the team. You've actually got to cut someone out of that team. So I, I know you would anyway. So that's what we're going to go with. If you're bringing someone in, someone's going out. 
Yep, that's a that's a very fair point, Pez. Um, but first of all, we need to make sure that we do say congratulations to all those players. All players in the 40-man squad um, deserve to be in the 40-man squad. They obviously had rippy years, and as you said, it is it is a, a fact of personal opinion and how we choose and the rules behind the teams are very sort of loosey-goosey because, you know, as we know in years previously, um, obviously it's a midfielder's game and uh, they end up getting put everywhere, but... Congratulations to the, the 22 that were named. And, Pez, I think we should start off with uh, the back line because it is the, the staple and it is um, one of those positions where generally you'd think it'd be pretty straightforward, wouldn't you? You would, you would think that. Um, and just counting there, it looks like four players that didn't make the finals actually made the team. So do you think that was one of the criteria that they had to be a, a competing team? It's really interesting um, because I've got really strong opinions on this because there's obviously two two cases to go here. It's a, you're valuable to your team, therefore creating impact, therefore your team is winning, or you're just a good player in a terrible team. Now, if you look at, um, you know, look at the NBA for example, one of the it's a lot easier their model obviously that when they do the All Star game. But winning matters. It matters. You can't just be putting up these empty numbers. And I do believe that your team should be a team that is contributing. But in saying that, if your team's not winning, you're probably going to look a lot better in defence. You're probably going to get a lot more of the pill and you're probably going to have more of an impact um, and be noticed a lot more because the ball's coming down there a lot more. So, Sauce, bottom six teams, looking at the team at the moment, correct me if I am wrong, I can't see any player from the bottom six sides. No, you are correct. You are correct. They're, uh, <laughs> they're all top eight sides. Except for uh, GWS, who should have made... Oh, and Fremantle. Fremantle as well. So you had two players and, there from uh, defence. And two players from Melbourne. Yeah, two players from Melbourne in defence. Yeah. Not in defence. Oh, you're talking the team in general. Sorry, I thought you were talking the about whole, the whole team. I'm, no, I'm saying the whole team. So in the whole team, there's only four players, which uh, two Melbourne, one GWS Giant, and one Fremantle Docker, who made it that didn't actually make the finals this year. Yeah. yeah I mean, it's, it sort of illustrates that point, Pez. It's, it's what do you hold more impact, winning and contributing? or just contributing to your team. And I think that if you, uh, you know, if you're putting a characteristic on impact and you're going to grade these people's, you know, possessions and their impact on the game, I think winning has to be a category. I mean, you can't just go out there and get 50 touches and, you know, no score involvements, for example. Like, you're looking for categories that stack up that equals win because in the end of the day, that's the, the biggest um, classifier is whether these players are winning games or not. That's it. I know I'm going to get in trouble from management for wasting time here, uh, Source, but you have mentioned the possessions and uh, the impact on them, if they're important or not. So you're talking about players like, I'm guessing, like a Tom Mitchell who can grab 40, 50 possessions but not have a big impact because his skill with the ball isn't that great. But when it comes to the Brownlow medal, obviously the umpires go into the rooms first, they look at the stats, and then they you know, do that sort of thing and say, all right, he gets the three votes. But then you look at it on the Brownlow night and you're like, I remember that game. He didn't have a big impact. He turned the ball over. Like that's, they've just looked at stats and given away things. So that's another pet peeve of mine, but I don't know why that's the theme of tonight, but I've missed footy for a week and I'm just going at it. You're angry, Pez. You're angry. <laughs> all your pet peeves are coming in. And I love that you call it your pet peeves. You know, what What makes Pez mad? Um, it was a shame you don't have a cool nickname like Sauce. We could run a segment, Hot Sauce, but uh, I don't know what you could do for Pez, mate. Moldy Pez because of lollies. Is that something that would work for you? Yeah, let's let's get it done because <laughs> I, I like going on those rants and um, giving it to the AFO when they get things wrong. Yeah, but most definitely, like, the umpires are in a, in a tough spot because, yes, they do – they're out there doing a job. And as we know and we criticise every week, you know, the impact the umpires have sometimes, it's a difficult job. And, and 
I know, Pez, you, you and I both did some um, some umpiring when we were younger, not not football, we did other sports, but it's hard enough trying to um, manage a game of grown men or women and and apply the rules, as well as that notice players of impact as well. So we're giving them a really difficult task to do, not only to, to measure and make sure they adjudicate the rules properly, but then also telling them, hey, who, who was the best player on, on the ground? Now, you've got to take out that human emotion of someone someone gives you a spray or one of the players, you know, are renowned for, for flopping or they, you know, they or, or as we said, the opposite, they had lots of the ball. Um, you know, your mind was automatically drawn to them. So it, it's, it's really hard, I think, the umpires to assess it. And it's a system that I don't know how you fix it, so I'm not, I'm, I can't give a solution, but you can understand why these players who do accumulate a lot of the ball sometimes get their names read out on umbrella night. Yeah, which is why when you got a player like Lockie Neal, you go, all right, the umpires are definitely looking at the stats, so we're going down here. You mentioned my umpiring career source. It lasted, like, uh, I reckon, three games. Yeah, and I, then I just <laughs> hung, up, hung up the boots and uh, went. You know what? I'm just playing from now on. As I said, as I said, mate, not all not all uh, good blokes can handle it. Uh, but um, obviously, the pedigree of um, management and being able to multitask came into play there, Pez, and uh, not, I, I not one of your forfeits. I complained about too much, mate, because I, I didn't take uh, take any crap kicking people out of stadiums. And- <laughs> And fields and stuff, so no, they didn't like me down there. All right, we've definitely have gone down a, a tantrum. <laughs> we've somehow ended up on your junior basketball officiating career, as opposed to the all Australian polar opposites. Definitely not in the same category. It's an absolute a shame. It's an absolute shame that you are even mentioning that in the same category. As some of these players, Bez. You're the one that's mentioned that, but let's have a, let's have a look at the defensive six. So congratulations to these players. You've got Brad Shepard from the West Coast Eagles in the back pocket, Harris Andrews down at fullback, Luke Ryan in the other back pocket, Nick Haynes off the halfback flank, Darcy Morse in a halfback, and Darcy Byrne-Jones halfback flank source. Yeah, so... Um... <laughs> I mean, how do, you, how do you want to do this, Piers? I mean, obviously, there's um, there's some, been some big debate about some years that were had from people and, and not making that squad. You said that you said before, at the start of the show, there's five people that you would take away from um, the actual actual squad. Do you have any defenders that don't make the cut? Yeah, I do actually. Um, so I'm I'm talking about Brad Shepherd here. Brad Shepherd deserves to make the side. He's in. He's in my side because uh, he's very unnoticed playing over in Western Australia. But watching a lot of footy. Uh, and noticing Brad Shepard, he's he's been um, under undervalued and underrated by the Victorian media a lot, and I'm glad to see him get a spot on the Australian side. Harris Andrews, I I don't know if you agree, Sauce, no brainer fullback. Yeah, that, look, those three, Brad Shepard, Harris Andrews and Luke Ryan, I have no problems in there. They were all in my squad. I think Harris Andrews was the, the number one defender of the year. He's got amazing hands, despite not playing all the games towards the end with that injury. But I think his impact is paramount for Brisbane and it equals wins. Same with Brad Shepard when they were, you know, not doing well in games. Same sort of thing. Um <laughs> You know, like the paramount to their, their club success. And Fremantle, you know, once they worked out that they had a gem like Luke Ryan, they structured a whole game plan around him and they were able to really, not just around him, but around that moving the ball from left to right towards the um, towards that back half and really, you know, um, catapult their, their offense. So I, I have no problems with the back three. Yeah, I'd keep the back three in there, um, but I'm getting rid of the next three. All three of them? The whole line I'm getting rid of. So our <laughs> man, Hainsey gone uh didn't have the big big enough impact with gws he did did all he's could but uh, there's better players out there uh darcy moore I, I think collingwood's uh defense was really strong at the start of the year teetered off towards the end and he really got a lot of credit for a, a team sort of defense and darcy burn jones although he had a good year he does go missing a lot in games 
and he doesn't have that impact throughout the whole game and when the game's on the line. So I wouldn't have him in there either, Source. Okay, that's uh, interesting. I wouldn't have Nick Haynes, as you said. He's one of our one of our absolute favourites of the show, and we love him. And you know, he did consistent things all year, but um, it, you know, as you said, didn't make that impact, and he wasn't um, involved in that sort of quarterback style that he's been you know known for the last couple of years for. I disagree with the Darcy Moore. I think that you're right; they do play a team defence, but I think him being out of that squad, their their team defence really um, it, it really crumbles. And I, I still had him in there, but Darcy Byrne Jones, you know, another one of the the fan favourites, Pez. Um, I didn't have him in there either. I, I thought that um, he. I think. Do you know what I think that was? It was a product of Port Adelaide finishing first, um, and he did have a good year, so they needed to have him in there because they do value the wins. But then other parts of the ground, they didn't value the wins. So for me, it's a it's sort of a, a backwards theory of you know we need to have players in there because they finish top, but in the same regard, like you, you're leaving players out that had bigger impacts on winning teams as well. Well, very interested to hear uh, to hear what you think of, of my centre half back line. Now, the centre half back, I'm actually putting a Carlton player in there. Source, I'm putting Jacob Weeder in, and the reason I'm doing that is because his one-on-one contests have been amazing this year. Without Jacob Weeder in, Carlton would have finished a lot lower on the ladder. So usually, you know, you go for the higher teams. The reason Carlton were there and they were able to win seven games is because he was able to take players out. Now, their team defence wasn't as good as Collingwood's, where you know he would have been shrouded for and given an All-Australian jacket and things like that. But I think he deserves his All-Australian nod. Really great defender, Jacob Wiedering. So Carlton fans would be happy to hear that. Yeah, they would. Um, you, you're right. The, the numbers don't stack up for him. Um, like Stats-wise, they don't always um, actually paint the, the best narrative f- for him this year. Um, he finished 11th in, in player ratings uh, of defenders. Um, but I would agree, he's a number one defender. He turned himself in from a you know one of those running um, backmen to a standalone uh, you know backman that really took down a lot of um, a lot of a lot of strong players earlier in the year and continued that form and was a big part of Carlton being so close in many games because teams just couldn't score against them um, you know in patches, which is really you know really sort of paints that picture of uh, Wittering making the, the All Australian side. Well, that's it. And the, the two half backs, I'm actually moving Brad Shepherd to a half back line. Uh, source and I'm putting Caleb Daniel down in the in the back pocket, one of the best kicks in the AFL. Oh, I'm, um, I'm so glad you said that, Pez. It's an absolute disgrace, and I, I, this is one of my absolute absolute disgrace that he's been named on the bench and didn't make the side straight out. That it's absolutely ridiculous. He, he you told you saw his impact in the last game where Fremantle actually tagged him. How often do you see a backman, a wingman, a back wingman tagged like that? Absolute ridiculous. No. He should have made the squad straight up. I would have had him instead of Bercy, uh, Darcy Byrne-Jones. Straight out. Boom, gone. Yeah, definitely. So I've got him in there. Um, Shepard goes to the halfback one. Nick Haynes goes out. And Darcy Byrne-Jones actually goes out. And I'm bringing in a guy that was much maligned by uh, other fans than Collingwood and probably Collingwood fans as well, but he's improved his kicking out of sight and a pretty good one-on-one defender as well. They put a lot of ball through him. Is Braden Maynard from Collingwood. Yeah, <laughs> you basically you must both must have copied my uh, my spreadsheet there, Pez, because I hundred percent agree. Maynard out of that side, uh, Maynard, Maynard into that side. Um, I would have had him paired up with Darcy Moore, uh, so Darcy Moore, and I would have had Caleb Daniels in there, as I've said. But um, I I don't know how he he didn't make it easily. As we said, it's one of those team defenses, and when you're picking the two, you know, Darcy Moore or Maynard, Maynard makes so much more impact not only across the defense, but the impact he does when when anchoring that ball forward. And and I think that, you know, I think that he needed to be in that squad. <laughs> like it's it's ridiculous that he didn't make the squad. Yeah, and he wasn't even on the bench or anything. So 
So that's where we go. I've got three out of the team already sourced, so I'm going uh, ruthless on these All-Australian selectors. You've had, you've had two out, made two changes in the defence. Let's move to the midfield where you've got Jack McRae on a wing, Cam Guthrie on the other wing, Travis Boak in the guts. You've got Nick Natanui as the ruckman, Christian Petrarca and Lockie Neal as the rover and ruck rover. All right, let's, let's get this one. Let's get the, the elephant out of the room straight away. All-Australian team named two ruckmen. Absolutely wrong. You can't run an All-Australian squad with two ruckmen. Now, I, I don't have either qualms either way, whether Nick Natanui is your ruckman or Max Gorn is your, your ruckman. Both had amazing years. Both have impacts towards winning in their clubs. I personally would have gone for Max Gorn in terms of the consistency, but you could easily make the argument for Nick, Nick Natanui because of his impact across that ground, not being as consistent, but the big moments that he stands up for. But for just a straight off the bat, two ruckmen in an all-Australian squad, when they're not as dominant around the ground like we, we've had in the past where they've had two ruckmen, I feel like it's becoming a dangerous trend. We don't need a backup ruckman in an all-Australian squad. No, and we didn't need it. The other year where Max Gorn made it on the bench with... Um uh, who was it, Brody Grundy, who who got the main ruck role. So it's it's absolutely ludicrous, absolutely ridiculous. When he was named in the 40-man uh, squad, shouldn't have been in there. If you're going to name two ruckmen in the 40-man squad, put Nick Natanui in there, put Dodd Goldstein or someone in there, someone that actually deserves it because uh, I'm not having Max Gorn anywhere near my side source. You said you would have had him either in there as the one ruckman and Nick Natanui fully out or the other way around. doesn't really matter, but Max Gorn, he's not even in my 40-man squad. As I said, look, if you're playing, if you're actually playing a game, you take Nick Natanui. If it's on stats alone and a, and a pretty looking pitcher, you probably can make an argument for Max Gorn in terms of consistency, hit outs, his hit outs to advantage. You know, his defensive role he started to play. But but again, I would have either way. You can't have two. You never can have two unless you've got two players that have identical years and they're finishing. You know first and second because the, because of a ruck performance. That's the only time that I could probably justify having two rucks. But then again, if you've got Max Gorn on the bench, when he comes on the field, where does he play? Because obviously, Nick Natanui's still there. Like, where does he where does he flip, fit into? I just don't understand that that that. Um, I just don't understand it. Realistically, it makes no sense to me. Um, but yeah, it's a mistake every year. But it's a dangerous trend that's coming in pairs, and I don't like it. Especially when we, we'll get to it, I'm sure. When they name midfielders in the forward line, of course, because they don't have enough spots for midfielders. You don't have enough spots because you're naming two ruckmen and you're taking a spot away from one of those star midfielders. Yeah, most definitely. Yeah, like uh, I think, and it's hard because the midfielder is such an impactful player in the game. But I think the way that they fix it is they just stick. They should just stick all the other midfielders on the bench. Just do four four midfielder positions on the bench and do the rest as pure players and pure positional players. Like don't have I these players I resting really forward. Like that. Sorry, I really, really like that. I really like that. That is a great point. Just have all four bench players, because you're not actually playing a game. Yeah. Just have them as four extra midfielders, bang, 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 bang. Yep. And then put the defenders and the forwards as actual positional players. That's great. Yeah, because I think I think realistically, if you're playing, you know, let's for example, Jack McRae. So like I didn't have Jack McRae in my squad because he's he started on a wing here. If you play Jack McRae on the wing, he's not gonna have the same impact that he normally would have. You would be better having a pure position player, someone like Sam Manigola or, you know, even if you even, you know, you put Caleb Daniels in there, for example, a player who does play on the wing sometimes. You'd be better having that sort of player there so that they can have that impact the same way. Like Jack McRae, I think if he plays on the wing as a full-time role, he doesn't get those meaningless possessions. He doesn't get that impact that, you know, that does sometimes contribute to Western Bulldogs' score involvements. You know, he had 90 score involvements for the year, but he doesn't get 90 score involvements for the year playing on a wing. No way. 
No way. So you're not thinking you, – we, we're going to have a, a bit of a disagreement here. You're taking Jack McRae out. Who are you putting in? Uh, I would have Menegola in there. Well, look, I, I would have Menegola in there, either him or Guthrie. Right, so Guthrie or Jack McRae, you can't have both of them in my opinion because you've got to have Sam Menegola. Had the number one uh, – he was the number one wing player of the year, absolute standout, you know, averaging the almost identical stats to Guthrie, um, but having, you know, 16 more goals oh, – sorry, 13 goals compared to – well, I think it was seven goals or something like that. He had 70 score involvements for the year, averaged 20-something possessions. Um, he's, he's tackling pressure. You know, he had a, had a decent amount of tackles as well. So either Jack McRae or Guthrie, one of those are out, uh, and I would have um, Menegola in there. Yeah, I, I 100% agree with the Menangola part. I'm putting him in. I'll put him in over um, Cam Guthrie in the other wing. Doesn't mean Cam Guthrie's not making my side. Uh, he's still going to be in my side somewhere, just not on the wing. And I am having Jack McRae out on the wing where he does amass uh, a lot of possessions and, and get a lot of score involvements for the Bulldogs when they're up and about. And when they're not up and about, he's the only one that uh, gets the pill out there as well. But Travis Boak, uh, great year. He got the vice captain as well. I'll keep him in the middle as well. Yeah, he should have been captain. Should have been captain. Um, he did an amazing job with Port Adelaide. He's a great leader. Um, had an amazing season, and um, yeah, I think he leads from the front, and and, and most definitely deserves that spot in the in the side. Yeah, definitely. Now this is a, a real well, not a contentious one because uh, we'll start with the easy one, Lockie Neal. Yeah, well, lock. Yeah, yeah, he's a lock. He took out the uh, took out all the awards. He's going to take out the Brownlow. Um, they're going to go out in straight sets again, which is disappointing for Brisbane. But uh, he's had an amazing year, amazing season. Um, and and the thing is, you know that he's a decent player when he's respected by his peers. The most valuable player that he won outright, as well as the um, you know the Player of the Year award as well. So he's just going to you know just pile up those accolades this year. But um, very deserving spot. Yep, very good. Christian Petrarca, thoughts. I had him in my side, but I had him on yep. the I had him on the bench. I didn't have him yep. starting. I think that he, he had an amazing year. Um, he had, had a lot of impact. His his skill level with delivering the football isn't always at an elite level, but the impact he does have on his team is is very um. It's very obvious. When he goes forward, he kicks goals. He kicks a lot of goals out of that midfield. He does really get that motor going. And when he's not playing well, generally Melbourne aren't playing well. So I think that's a, a big. It, it, that's a big part of why Melbourne started to, you know, they were they were a game away from the finals was his role that he had because we saw last year they just were absolutely rubbish last year and he stepped up this year so I think he was deserving but I would have had him on the bench. He's, he's definitely deserving. He's still in my side. He's just not in the middle now. You put him on your bench. Who have you put in the middle? Uh, I think I think I had uh, Dustin Martin in there for sure. I think that he was one of those elite midfielders this year. Impact, yes, when he went forward, but any time Richmond really wanted to to make a comeback or put their game on the back, Dustin Martin uh, was that uh, spot for me. Yeah, nice one. Um, I know a lot of people complain that he was up forward um, throughout that time, so uh, I, I like putting him in, in that uh, midfield there from you. I, I've kept him out of there. Uh, and I'm actually going to go, oh, I don't know if it's a little bit different or not, but it's a little bit different uh, from the actual side. I'm just going to put Dangerfield, who they've given captain to. I'm going to put him in the middle. Do you know what's really funny, Pez? We, we, obviously, I watch a lot of Geelong games. I watch a lot of games uh, in general, but I didn't think he had that, that impactful of a year. Uh, yes, he he went up forward when we weren't playing well, but generally the times he went up forward was when he wasn't playing well either. He couldn't get himself into the game. Um, he is a great leader. Does he make the side just on reputation? You know, for the as I said earlier in the year that he would he would make it just on reputation alone, being you know the seventh, 
you know, seventh all time of, 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 of amount of times he's been in there. But I, I didn't actually have him in, in my uh, in my midfield. I um I was just him on the bench. <laughs> so you've got him on the bench as well. Very nice. I'm looking. I'm looking very forward to seeing who's in your forward line. To be honest, this will be great. <laughs> yeah, you'll like it. Um, one of the players that I thought that probably should have made it, Pez, uh, was uh, Taylor Adams. I thought Taylor Adams had an absolute monster season. Um, I thought that he definitely um, was worthy of that spot. Um, and a bit surprised that he he made it on the bench, but you know he's still in the squad either way. And when you're moving a couple of players around, he definitely made uh, my starting midfield. You're starting midfield. Yep. So who have you got rid of? I told you. Did got... you have both? You had both Neil and Martin. Yeah. So where are you putting Adams? I got rid of uh, McGuthrie. I told you. Oh, Adams is going on the wing. Yep. Put him in the wing. Okay. All right. I thought you were saying that he's not a. You need, all right. That's well, he, he started. Look, he he started. If he had a full squad, they had a full squad. He would have played on the wing anyway. So I, I had him. No, he, he, I was I was close to putting him in the midfield to be honest because he carried uh, Collingwood when they had all those injuries and and different misdemeanors throughout the year and he, he had a really good season so. Uh, you'll definitely make my bench, but uh, yeah, didn't get in that starting six there in the mids. All right then, forward line pairs. I'm, I'm very interested to hear your thoughts. Obviously, you've heard mine, but we had Patrick Dangerfield as mentioned, Charlie Dixon, Marcus Bontempelli, Liam Ryan, Tom Hawkins, and Dustin Martin. All right. Um. Oh, now there's been big talks about the forward line, and we know that you've got players like Patrick Dangerfield, Marcus Bontempelli, Dustin Martin who they're fitting in there because you know what? Oh, sometimes they go forward and kick a goal. Now, interested to hear your thoughts as well, but Marcus Bontepelli, not enough impact to mine. Uh, he's out. He's out of the 22. He's not even on the bench. Completely um, agree with you. Doesn't make enough impact in the game. Doesn't, um, you know, when he plays well, Bulldogs win, and look where they finished. You know, they, they struggled to get through. They made it to finals. Just, um, he doesn't make enough impact when he goes forward, and I just don't see him as that sort of player. So it didn't make it for me. Yeah, and he's not better than any of the midfielders that we've got in there, so no. um, he's out of there. His kicking really let him down this season as well. His disposal, um, he, he just has to. He's one of those players like Dangerfield where he has to just kick it long to be impactful and things like that. But his field kicking really struggles. Um, Charlie Dixon and Tom Hawkins—they're no-brainers. So there's no arguments there, and I imagine you'd be the same. Yeah, most definitely no-brainers at all. Um, <laughs> you know, you had your, your Coleman medalist and a bloke who basically um, couldn't open up a, a defence with one hand. An absolute body, had a stellar year, and one of the big reasons that they finished uh, top of the ladder. That's it. Now, um, Liam Ryan, interested for your thoughts. I am keeping Liam Ryan in the side. He is one of West Coast's most important players, I think. Yeah, uh, look, the... I have Liam Ryan in there, and I think you couldn't split the, that small sort of forward position. Um, and I think that um, you know him, Dan Butler, Tom Patley all had almost identical stats. They all did the same sort of thing. Uh, Liam Ryan's impact around the ground, I think, got him the nod over Butler and Papley. But um, oh, I'll be honest, I have all three of them there. I have all three of them in my squad. Um, oh, wow. Because I think that Dan Butler easily was the best small forward of the whole year consistently. Tom Patley had an absolute ripper start of the season. And then towards the end of the season, when they moved him sort of up the ground a little bit more, his impact with goals um, kicked, dropped off a little bit. But he still kicked 26-27, you know, and he had the second most shots on goal in the league. And, and to start, despite only playing forward, um, so the only forward uh, in Sydney's forward line at times. So I think that he did an amazing job and I would have had him in there. Yeah, and I agree with you with Butler. 
he does go missing in games and he's not as consistent. He's not that, you know, 15 disposal type forward, but there's not just one small forward spot. There's at least two because there's two forward pockets there. So Dustin Martin's out of that forward pocket. I'm actually moving him to the half forward flank and I'm putting Dan Butler in there. Now, I think Dustin Martin deserves to make it in the forward line and we can hide him there because he actually is a player that goes forward a lot and impacts games. When they need him to, he'll play one-on-one in the goal square. He is one of the best one-on-one contested players in the forward line, which is why I'm happy to have him in there. Yeah, I, look, I, I had him in my initial squad, and then the more and more I thought about it, and I'm like, you know what, I'm going to go on this rant about players not being able to play in there. You could definitely put him in there, um, but I, I made that conscious decision not to have him in there just for that that alone. Yeah, and that's fair enough because uh, lots of people are, using, you know, talking about that that sort of thing as well. So, um, yeah, we we head to that, and you've got all you've got Papley as well. You said yes, do have Papley in there. Definitely have Papley in there. I think that, as I said, both of them made uh, strong cases for the year, and um, they both were consistent in terms of you know kicking goals in games. They made impacts. Um, they weren't just. There were times where both, the, you know, Papley and Butler's teams weren't in games. And then, as you said, you know, Butler did go missing for times in terms of dis- dis- disposals, but he always seemed to pop up at the right times for some really impactful goals. And Papley was the same, you know, he was the barometer for, for Sydney. And um, yes, they did um, do poorly and they didn't get as many wins as, as probably they would have uh, liked. But I think his impact um, put in a decent squad would have would have equaled some wins. So, yeah, he does make it. And I was trying to be conscious not to have those midfielders resting up forward. Yeah, well, I'll, I'm not going to make the mistake and put another midfielder and resting forward. What I'm going to do is I'm going to go a bit left field and left field because it would be his first ever time. But Zach Butters, didn't he have a season? I'm putting him in there on the half forward line uh, across <laughs> from Dustin Martin. I'm very glad you said that, Pez, because that's exactly who I had in there. <laughs> <laughs> you did. I told you I had him in there, and because I, I didn't have uh, him or Dangerfield, so I'm very glad that you said that. I was w- waiting for some pushback, but the more and more that uh, uh, you went through your side, I'm like, you know what, I might, might, might be on the same page here. I, I thought he had an absolutely amazing season. You know, he only kicked uh, ele- eleven goals for the year, but he had 79 score score involvements for the year. He had 39 te- tackles, and majority of those coming actually in that um, that sort of defensive role when the, when the other team's going forward. You know, he did only average 15 disposals, but I think that, um, you know, 100, 100 contested possessions for the year. He had 33 inside 50s. I thought he was an absolute impact uh, to Port Adelaide and one of the reasons that I was so successful. Uh, exactly right. He was playing in the in the midfield up there. Like, he was, he was running through there. He was getting the ball inside 50. He was getting the hard ball. I, I remember a game early in the year, I think it was against the Western Bulldogs, when the Western Bulldogs went on a tear in that first half and, won a lot of contested ball. Zach Butters really, really came up and stepped up to the plate. And every game after that, he was just really good to watch. Not not so much for kicking goals, as you said. He only kicked 11. But that forward line presence and that half forward role is exactly what he did. So uh, I'm going gift to him, gift him my All-Australian jacket, which I don't know how much that'll mean to him. But hopefully he remembers that when he retires. At the end of his career. <laughs> hopefully he does. And he can put it up on the, on the notice board saying, you know what? You little ripper. Pez is our golden jacket. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. That's it. Um, Christian Petrarca, Jack Steele, um, Taylor Adams and Cam Guthrie round out my interchange bench. Yeah, I had uh, Jack Steele. I had Gaff go in there. Um, and I think that's my list. Of, well, I've listed all those now, Pez, because I said that um, 
Who yeah, moved? you're moving a couple to the yeah. bench. So that's uh, that's the left two. I'm just trying to shift through all my notes here, and I can understand why the All Australian selectors have a bit of trouble. I'm having a bit of trouble just trying to navigate through on my own. Um, but it's interesting. Did you hear Richo talk during the week about how they actually how they decide? They meet three times throughout the year. And they put up the the teams. So they you know like round seven, round uh, round five, round 15, ten, and round fifteen. And they add up who the players that are mentioned every time because there was big arguments about Stephen May not making it. And they said, well, the second two meetings he was there, but he wasn't in that first meeting, so he just didn't make the cut. Yeah, he wasn't. He wasn't spoken about at the start of the year. He he was okay one on one, but he's not better than any of those other players there, like a, a Dylan Grimes or a Tom Jonas would have even made it over him in my eyes. So. Yeah, I don't know what all the kerfuffle was over Stephen May. Uh, there's always people. Uh, there's always people that are going to have snubs. They know that they know that the, the three biggest snubs that they had was uh, Menegola, Maynard, and you know one of those small forwards, either Papley or Butler, um, and then positions that are dominated by midfield, even in that forward line. So you, they weren't going to win that. Um, so yeah, I think that uh, it was an easy one to pull out. Well, there you go. There's our, our thoughts on the Australian side. They need to fix it. And I love your solution. All four midfielders, uh, all four bench interchange players can be midfielders. And then you must have, you must be playing in that position. So the half forwards, they can be a mix of midfielders that go forward. But those two forward pockets, they must be small forwards, I think. And I think that, I think that what, what the AFL needs to do, like the moment that they named, you know, Guthrie and uh, McRae on the wing and they showed that they only played three in 17% of that time on the wing, is they just make it a rule. In order to class, to qualify for that, you've got to play at least 60% at that actual position. Like it wouldn't be hard to do. And that way you can actually just go through your categories. And when you name them, maybe maybe name it a, li- a bit better than just having 40 random players. If you're just going to do 40 random players, what happens if you have 40 random players that are all midfielders? Like how are you going to do a yeah, squad then? Well, you need to just say right. So for the back line, we've got we've got six op- of six positions. I don't know. Let's say that we're going to do ten. Ten for there. Ten midfielders. Ten, um, you know, forward line. What's that? Am I up to thirty? And then you can have ten bench players. So you can have maybe twenty midfielders. There you go. Done. That's how you do it. Yeah, I, I do like it. Very good. And uh, you mentioned the awards before as well, source. So we know that. The AFL MVP is what all the players really uh, strive for as well. And Lockie Neal's taken that out. Uh, he's taken out a lot of other awards, and I'm sure he would have taken out a lot of the footy show awards and things like that as well. We've got Caleb Sarong, who shone and got the rising star in the end as well. Yeah, he had, he had an absolute ripper season. Um, it's probably He's, he's probably going to go down in future with a little bit of an asterisk there because Matt Rowell is going to be an absolute superstar and probably win three or four brown lows, and it's going to be one of those ones where you're like, Oh well, how, how did how did Rao not win one? Not realizing that he uh, that he got injured, but you know had an absolute um, had a, had an absolute stellar of years. You know, Fremantle definitely overperformed for for their expectations, and he was a big part of it. Yeah, and he, he did great. He, he does deserve it because Matt Rao did get injured. But I did see some people arguing that Matt Rao still should have won it, even though he only played three games. Well, it's it's it. <laughs> It's interesting that that you say that because the, the you know the the top five were Caleb Sarong, Noah Anderson, Max King, Isaac Ranking, and Will Day. Now you you can't tell me that you know Matt Rao had those three games were better than all of those blokes' seasons combined. You know, like that that's absolutely ridiculous um, the way they do it. But it is disappointing that he he did miss out because he was a clear dollar one favourite after round three. And he was probably leading, he'd probably be leading the Brownlow after round three too. He'll probably have three sets of three votes. Yeah. Well, um, that's the thing. They've paid him, out, paid him out for that. If they think he should have won the Rising Star playing three games, they obviously think he should win the Brownlow as well. 
yeah, well, exactly right, exactly right. Like <laughs> that's a, that's a good point. They should have paid him out for that. They should they should just give him the award. Like I, I don't understand what it what it is, but um, yeah, the, well done to that player. We've got those sort of things. You've got the All Australian. You've got um, those sort of awards. The Brownlow, which another one of my pet peeves. So I don't like this. It should have been on the week off. If you're going to have a week off, get all the awards out of the way. We don't want to be looking at Lockie Neal. You mentioned before, you've tipped him to go out in straight sets. So on that Monday, on the prelim final weekend, when he's out, if he is out, and you're correct, he's, he's underperformed in the finals, and people say he's underserving of the Brownlow medal. But if you've already done it, we're just basing it off the season. Do you think, do you think giving him the award before the final series adds more pressure and expectation to the player? Maybe that's why they don't do it? No, just do it. They're a Brownlow <laughs> medalist. That's what has to happen because um, you've got the NBA into the NBA finals now. You've got LA Lakers, LeBron's LA Lakers versus I don't even know who you'd call it. Miami Heat, Bam Adebayo. Jimmy or Butler's mate. It's Jimmy, uh, Jimmy Buckets. Jimmy Buckets. Uh, Jimmy Buckets. You, Miami don't have the player that you can just give to with the isolation that happens in uh, NBA finals. But anyway, that's another topic, another podcast. Um, but Giannis Antetokounmpo, obviously he underperformed in the playoffs and then he got named MVP afterwards when LeBron was performing in the playoffs and became second. So there's that little bit of thing where the NBA, if they announce the MVP after the season and after the regular season before the playoffs, could have avoided that little bit of con- confrontation, but maybe that's what they want. Yeah, mate, look, I think it makes it really hard because there is no ideal time to do it because obviously you don't want to do it before finals because, you know, that added expectation and, you know, they're, they're meant to perform for the players or whatever, but you don't want to do it after the f- season either because um, obviously, <laughs> you know, if the player bombs out in straight sets, which, you know, Lockie Neal's going to do, then you're sort of like, well, he's an undeserving winner. Like, you know, why are we awarding this? So, I mean, it's it, it work, the Brantley works really well when the person who wins it is actually playing in the grand final. That that's the oh, per, yeah. that's the perfect setting, you know those those times where you've got the you know, Collingwood players there about to make it or Geelong players or whoever's making it just before the the grand final. That is the perfect yeah. setup when it's not those players and some player that didn't even make the finals or didn't even make an impact in finals. That's when you sort of like, well, hang on a tick. <laughs> but um, yep. exactly yeah, my point, yeah. which is why you the Brownlow winner usually very rarely is it a team that's in the uh, bottom eight or bottom ten now as it is. So you've got Gary Ablett winning it for the Gold Coast, a couple of other players that didn't make the finals. But most of them, usually a top four side, uh, 90% of the time would be a top eight side. So you give them to it after the regular season in the pre-finals bye, give the Brownlow out. Yes, that player's got added pressure, but they've won the Brownlow medal, so obviously they're going to have pressure anyway. Uh, and then go from there. If they underperform, they've underperformed as a Brownlow medalist and they don't get awarded for after underperforming. Yeah, yeah, 100% agree, Pez. <laughs> As I said, I, I don't I don't really care where it's done. I, I would prefer it done on the week off so it gives us something to do. Or, or uh, yeah, so, yeah, do it on the week off then. Make you happy. You can stop having a pet, yes. you can stop having a pet fever, mate. All right, some uh, hot sauce. Hot sauce going down. <laughs> oh, we, we, now we've talked about all the great stuff. There was some uh, disappointing news for, for um, a range of players um, coming out of Adelaide. So not only did they have a really disappointing season, but uh, today there's been two players who are uh, going to receive a strike under the AFL's illicit drug code, um, being allegedly found in possession of illicit, illicit substances in uh, a taxi that was pulled over by police early hours this morning. Uh, we have Brad Couch and Tyson Stengel. Now, you know, we're not going to talk too much about the actual, you know, drug impact with this drug, you know, because it is alleged, and we don't want to make any comments about that. 
How does this affect Brad Crouch and Tyson Stengel going forward, Pez? Well, Tyson Stengel's already been in trouble with the uh, drink driving charge where he blew uh, two times over the limit earlier in the season. And he's come back and worked his way back into the side, played some pretty good footy. And then he's got this on, on as well. Now, we don't actually know how many strikes these players are on because strikes are kept you know, in-house, which is why I'm surprised that this uh, did get out and is being made so public by the AFL media. Uh, but they do have at least one strike on their thing. Brad Crouch, this affects a lot more um, because he's out of contract. He's trying to get to another team as a free agent. So do teams take the risk on him if he's got that type of culture? They've spoken a lot about Geelong and having a really strong culture and wanting to fit Brad Crouch into there. Does he fit into that now that they know that this is what he does? They've shown pictures on the TV and things of him drinking, you know, froths with Taylor Walker, and there's nothing nothing wrong with that in my eyes. But a footy club with a with a culture and they don't want to bring that sort of stuff in in there, maybe they have a second guess about Brad Crouch and he gets a contract that is a couple of hundred thousand dollars less than he was hoping for. Uh, yeah, I mean, my point exactly um, counters that, Pez, is because one of the teams that did express some interest and they, you know, they actually registered saying that they would like to to ex- exercise some free agency rights was Essendon. Now, there's no chance in the world Essendon is now going to pursue that um, be- because of obvious reasons, because of their drug culture, well, not drug culture, but because of the obvious allegations that were well, not allegations. I don't even know how to say that, Pez, and dance around. Yeah, these Essendon supporters are not going to be. <laughs> well, you, it's you, it's you one of those. Called, it's called one, them out for having a drug culture. <laughs> It's not a drug culture, but for the history that they've had linked to drugs through their medical team is the way I'll politically say it. But uh, Brad Crouch, you know, he, and he would have definitely helped Essendon, but you'd have to say that that dream for Essendon is definitely gone because they'll cop absolute scrutiny for that. Uh, and it's a massive risk for, for a player that's probably going to be asking some decent coin. Um, so, so for some clubs that have the right culture, it's going to be an absolute bargain because they're going to be able to really downplay it. But it could mean that Brad Couch, Brad, Brad Crouch has less say in where he actually ends up. What if he comes out tomorrow and says, "All right, he announces his retirement because he's actually on his third strike and he can't say why he's retiring"? Wouldn't that be surprising? Um, the, well, that'd be interesting, wouldn't it? The, the, because what's your thoughts on the, on making it public, those strikes, Piers? Like, I don't know about for the general public, but I feel like the AFL clubs should know, like inside the AFL circle should be aware of them. I think the the clubs and the hierarchy at, at the clubs should know about the strikes because what if a player is, you know, on, on two strikes, the club's got no idea. The club could actually be doing extra work. They're giving this, they're actually paying this person to be in their in their club. So what they need to do is they need to put things in place to help this person get through whatever it is they're going through without turning to that, if you know what I'm saying. So yeah, I do know um, what you're they, saying. They they need to know so they can actually action it before they go. All right, this hey, this player's third strike. See you later. You have to get another player now. Yeah, but yeah, it's also about the resources that go into actually planning for the for the next year. Like I think that's what you're trying to allude to is the. You know, the, the amount of hours that go into studying players and this and that. But if you know by round seven that this player's got two strikes, a, a club that doesn't, you know, that really high, high, uh, really respects the community and wants to make sure that they don't have a drug culture and they, they want to stay keep their nose out of it might stop doing the extra work for them. They might say, you know what, if, for example, let's say Geelong. So Geelong has famously has a pretty decent sort of culture there. They've, they've really, you know, turned it around since those days before they weren't making the finals. If they were looking at Brad Crouch in round two and then round three they find out that he has two strikes, boom, you stop putting resources into that player, you go start scouting someone else. And I think you're right. I think that the AFL execs at the clubs need to be aware of it 
but there's no way in the world that that knowledge is made public to the AFL bosses and AFL club managers and all that and not get leaked to the media. Yeah, and that's what's happened, obviously, but um, someone's seen it. Anyone can see something. Everyone's got a phone. Everyone's got a camera. So that, that type of thing happens, and it's, it's disappointing for both of these players. Uh, in the early early days of their career, Brad Crouch is you know, trying to become one of, one of the better midfielders in the comp, and Tyson Stingle's trying to get a permanent spot in that forward line as well. So uh, really disappointing, and it's just happened just after the season, before the finals even, when footy's you know, talked about really massively and even if it happened in December, it, it still wouldn't have been acceptable. You have a contract not for many years in the AFL. Some players get a contract for one year, they get delisted, they're gone. So these guys are not so much privileged. They've earned their right, but they're really privileged to be there and they've got to look after themselves while they are there. Yeah, most definitely. And it's probably the worst time to go through this sort of saga because there's that long break. There's no chance for you to serve an in-house suspension and then play play yourself into some form and to you know to, to, to make yourself a good case for the next year. You've you got know, a long wait. They've got a long wait and they're going to have to be work, working their asses off over that preseason and keeping their nose clean too. Like, you know, when I mean, that's a no, no, no pun intended there. But, you know, like players should be allowed after a season to let their hair down, not like this. Like you should be able to, as you said, enjoy a couple of froths with your mates and not have to worry about that. But now these two blokes, every time they do anything, they're going to be worrying about the look that they – well, they might not actually. They might not care at all. But, like, you would assume that, that they would be caring about the impact and the media scrutiny that's going to happen every time they pick up a froth in public. It would suck for them because every time they walk down the street and someone sees them, they go, oh, hey, that's the guy that got caught in a taxi with illicit, illicit substances. I'm sure, that's well, what, I'm sure that's what they're shouting out, Piz, in those exact words. No, like not shouting out, <laughs> but if they're talking to whoever no, they're I know talking, what you're talking to, about, like, yeah. they're not going to shout at him. But, um, some people might actually. They, they do it on Twitter all the time. But, uh, yeah, uh, very disappointing end to Adelaide Footy Club's season. Yeah, especially because they did finish that season with, you know, a, a few wins up their sleeve and it was a good way to sort of anchor 2021, but uh, it's really disappointing. It sort of caps off their last, what, last two years, real that fall yeah, from grace, and it just continues to have problems with Adelaide's culture. Yeah, and it's it's not good for the future, but hopefully they can get something right. We had the uh, coaching tiers uh, awarding the, uh, what was it, Best and Ferris Award, Riley O'Brien won that award the other night. So uh, the coach is invested. Some of the players are invested. You just need all of them invested to, to put in the work and put in the time to, to get off the bottom of the ladder because that's embarrassing. Yeah. As you said, some players are trying to make this their livelihood and trying to be successful and you got to commit. you got to build a, a great culture and they, they have been one of the, the most, one of the more successful interstate clubs. They have had a decent culture up until uh, that grand final, Piz. It all stems back to that grand final. It does. They were they were ready to go. Imagine winning that grand final. Uh, that would have happened. But they got flogged and then they've gone deep dive all the way to the bottom of the ladder in 2020 and we don't know where the upside is for them yet. Yeah, right, Pez. One of the, the great sliding door arguments of time to, you know, 10 years reflect on. But, uh, yeah, it's a real shame for the Adelaide Crows. That is. And uh, that'll, that'll wrap up the show for tonight's source. Good fun talking about the All-Australian awards and other awards in the competition in this week off we'll also do another show called season over which we're really excited about which we'll talk about the 10 clubs we'll talk about your club if you're out of the finals we're going to be talking about your club and and where to go to from here and then uh we will have a cheeky pump pod show for the pre-final series which i'm really really excited for four big finals coming up this week it's only monday and we start on thursday so we'll get to that uh i've been pairs peace out 
I'm still Sauce. We'll catch up next time, guys. Enjoy. Now you're gone.